Llegó la venta en Vuelve la Alegría de JCPenney. Completa tu lista de regalos y ahorra 25% extra con el cupón de esta semana. O ahorra hasta 80% en joyería fina con ofertas Redbow después del cupón. Visita Sephora dentro de JCPenney y encuentra las marcas de belleza y perfumes que les encantan. Y aprovecha y entrega tu auto. Juntos en celebración y paz. JCPenney. Ofertas válidas del 20 al 24 de diciembre. Aplican condiciones y exclusiones. Sephora se excluye de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda o jcp.com. Curling fans, you've come to the one place with everything you need involving USA Curling and more. It's the Extra Extra In podcast with the 12th In Sports Network and hosts Price Atkinson and Joe Calabrese. Get ready for everything you need to know. News, interviews, points of view, and club spotlights. Anything involving USA Curling can be found here. It's the Extra Extra In podcast with the 12th In Sports Network. Now, here are Price and Joe. Episode 11 of the Extra Extra Podcast with the 12th in Sports Network. Price Atkinson, the godfather Joe Calabrese himself. We're with you as this is our final time coming at you this calendar year, at least in the, in the year of 2018. Joseph, as uh, this will be our final episode before we come back uh, uh, January 3rd slash 4th at the very end of that uh, first week of January. Uh, but we got a whole lot coming up here, Joe, on this episode, episode 11 of the Extra Extra and Podcast. All things USA Curling going on from coast to coast. There is a lot to unpack, a lot to get into. Before we get out of the gate, let you know our guest. Got uh, a couple interviews from St. John's in Newfoundland when I was up there last week at the Boost National Grand Slam of Curling's fourth uh, event of the season, considered one of the um, uh, one of the four majors. Mike Harris uh, from Sportsnet, uh, former Olympian, uh, talked with him, got some of his perspective uh, from north of the border of USA Curling and you know what's going on, uh, kind of with the Grand Slams in, in general, and kind of myth busting a little bit on how tough they are to get into. Also, uh, Brad Gushu, uh, gold medalist from Team Gushu, skipping his team, certainly there in his hometown of St. John's, Newfoundland. Technically, the event was in Conception Bay South, just about 20 minutes up the road, but for all intents and purposes, it was right there in his backyard. So we got that interview with Mike Harris and then another one with Brad Gushu. And then Joe has got the segment you can't refuse, as always, from the San Francisco Bay Area Curling Clubs, Sarah Wall and Peter Chorba. So, three interviews that we will bring you, but Joe and I are going to get out of the hack right now with a, a really a lot of stuff to do here in this opening segment. We got more in the final segment where we will give you kind of our top five uh, curling moments of the season. And so you want to stay tuned for that in the final segment. But Joseph, welcome uh, welcome in as we get ready for the Christmas holiday, the Christmas edition of the Extraction Podcast. Yeah, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year, as we won't be back again until after the New Year, Price. Uh, you got all your holiday shopping done? Uh, I went to, I was at the mall shortly after it opened this morning. I don't like being that guy to be one of those uh, last-minute shoppers, but having been gone uh, from December the 7th to the 17th when I uh, connected a couple trips uh, to Philadelphia for the Army-Navy game and then went straight to St. John's for the Boost National in Newfoundland, uh, I missed a bulk of the shopping time, uh, two weekends to be exact. So I am pretty much there. How about you? 
Yeah, you know, I've taken the last two Fridays off of work just to make sure that I got things covered. And uh, so this afternoon or tonight, I'll probably make one last trip out for those stocking stuffers that you all need. All right, but how about, uh, you know, any of the uh, jewelry from uh, Elisa's sale that she does? And Tell me you didn't go... Tell me you didn't uh, you didn't go that route and, and buy jewelry from there to give to her, right? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> she's got everything she would ever need. It, it, sitting in the uh, sunroom studio here with me is probably I don't know a couple hundred pieces. So, um, you know, she's got it all covered. Well, she's got something else covered, and that's going to be a trip to Kalamazoo. Is uh, I don't know if we let the cat out of the bag, but man, I know you're excited. I know she more than anything is excited to be joining us in uh, Kalamazoo for USA Curling Nationals in February. Getting her back in the booth, it's been talked about for a while, and she's she's doing great. And you know the fact that she's going to be able to join us and be there on site that's going to be a special week uh, having her around up there. Yeah, she's always sort of been there in spirit, right? Probably she's given oh, us yeah. the the goodie box and and the uh, all the love from afar. But you know, this time she's going to be able to come out and sort of experience the event and meet all these people that that we talk about all the time on the podcast. But it, it's not the same as eating the mints that she sends, the cookies, all the goodies without her around. And so having her actually there is going to be a lot of fun. I'm just I can't wait to see what kind of role you can cop for her to play uh, while we're at USA Curling Nationals, and you got plenty of time to do it. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out something for sure. And something tells me the booth might be a little bit uh, cleaner with BA's jokes uh, for the week. But I digress. So we got, uh, let's see, a whole lot to get into, Joe. Uh, before we get before we do start down this path, I want to make sure everybody, uh, USA Curling right now, uh, we need, they need your clicks, usacurl.org. Uh, check the website out from all your devices. Uh, it last check at two days ago uh, this week, there were about a thousand clicks away. Unique visitors, a unique visitor is somebody hitting the website for the first time. Uh, do it, and a unique visitor is somebody that's doing it, say for the first time, uh, for either from your smartphone, uh, you know, from an, a tablet, uh, from a work computer, from a home computer. If you don't have any kind of governors on your computer at work, uh, just hit usacurl.org very quickly. You can close the browser immediately after it loads, uh, but trying to un- unlock some funding from the USOC, Joe. Uh, if we get that hit that mark, and it looks like that we will, but we still have a few final more hits to go, uh, that would unlock about $75,000 in extra funding from the USOC, which would not go to high performance. It would go to uh, you know uh, growing the game, club development, uh, local clubs, things to promote curling uh, from coast to coast. It would, again, repeat, it will not be for high-performance reasons, and that would be some really cool additional funding to end the year, but we need everybody to go to usacurl.org on all your devices, Joe. Yeah, that's a great reminder. I just got a new phone, so I'm going to have to uh, make the trip to usacurl.org myself. There you go. So you're going to get one more unique visitor right there. But we need your help. We're not quite there yet. And usacurl.org has got a lot of cool prizes. Uh, uh, their uh, five-day giveaway, uh, Santa Curl, all kinds of different prizes you can register for, polls, uh, the Matt Hamilton mustache gift. Uh, vote on which one is your favorite. Uh, a lot of great stuff, and especially if you have any last-minute shopping, and I'm talking very last-minute shopping, you can do it online, usacurl.org. All right, Joe, uh, before we go forward, let's go back. Let's go back to last weekend. Um, let's go back to China. A um, couple things. We got a couple events to get to. We got 
the uh, the King High Curling Elite. We got the Dakota Challenger Spiel, and we've got uh, certainly the Boost National in Newfoundland, uh, where I was here. Let's actually start in Newfoundland because um, that's where I was at. Uh, is Nina Roth? Uh, she uh, qualified uh, for the playoffs there. Unfortunately, Jamie Sinclair. Uh, excuse me. Actually, uh, Jamie Sinclair uh, did come up short in a tiebreaker, Joe. I, with all due respect to to Jamie and Monica and the, and the twins, I don't know the last time. Uh, and it, again, it was a tiebreaker. I, I don't know the last time I've seen a team, and it happens to everybody. But get, getting beat twelve nothing uh, is they got beat in the tiebreaker where they had the hammer the entire time. I mean, literally the entire time uh, they had the hammer in that game, and they lose twelve to nothing. My heart went out to them because uh, they really wanted to, to quit after three ends, uh, but they couldn't. They had to to continue on. It was painful to watch. Kerry Anderson had a great run. Uh, is Kerry Anderson uh, beat Jamie that 12-0 in that tiebreaker game on Saturday morning? Uh, and then Anderson went on to beat Anna Hasselberg, uh, upset them, the world's uh, number one on the women's side. And then they beat Tiranzoni uh, to qualify for the final at the Boost National. I, I was joking up there. Go ahead and just give. Uh, why don't you go ahead and change the European crown to Anderson because she knocks off the two finalists in, in Hasselberg and uh, in Tiranzoni there in a single day, including Jamie Sinclair in the morning. But the event was won uh, by Rachel Holman uh, up there in uh, in St. John's, Newfoundland. Excuse me, Conception Bay South. Yeah, Price, you know, I'm looking at that line score, that Anderson-Sinclair uh, tiebreaker. It's never a good idea to get out uh, to uh, steal a four and then another steal a four uh, right off the bat. Uh, uh, looking at the percentages there, you know, Anderson had a 97% uh uh, shooting percentage Sinclair only 27% so I mean it's hard to win any games when you're shooting 27% but uh, the degree of difficulty on Jamie's shots looked like it was uh, pretty high um, and you know they're just going to put it behind them as they uh, put out in their uh, their tweet and Facebook posts they're just putting this game behind them and, and moving on in the next thing yep they did beat Flurry and Yoshimura in uh, in the round robin and then uh, they were forced into that tiebreaker um, that they obviously came up short in but uh, nonetheless they will have uh, maybe another opportunity uh, they have not qualified real quick on Nina Ross side uh, they beat Isabella Aranya uh, in the round robin, then uh, dropped a couple close ones to uh, Chelsea Carey, uh, Silvana Tiranzoni, uh, then Anna Hasselberg, just to to come up a game short. You got to pretty much get to two and two to guarantee yourself at least a tiebreaker. Uh, but uh, Nina Roth coming up short. However, we'll say when it comes to uh, uh, Nina Roth and Jamie Sinclair, uh, the invites are out for the next slam. That will be the uh, Meridian Canadian Open, as will be in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. That's just around the corner, coming up uh, January the eighth through the 13th, uh, that one being the fifth Grand Slam of the season, five out of the seven. That also is considered one of the majors, the Canadian Open. Nina Roth does get an invitation to that. They were one of the last teams in Joe to get the invite. Jamie Sinclair is on the outside looking in. It's a triple knockout format, but we will only have one women's team in uh, the Canadian Open in North Battleford next month, and it will be indeed Nina Roth. Yes, these two teams sort of have been going back and forth as the top U.S. team in the country. This gives Nina an opportunity to get some some much-needed uh, points to kind of put themselves uh, ahead of the pack. Yep, on the men's side, uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't have a, a men's team uh, uh, that will be competing. We didn't have a men's team uh, at the Boost National in Newfoundland, which which kind of stunk. All, you know, certainly knowing Schuster and those guys, they had qualified, but playing the Curling World Cup uh, that they obviously won, and then uh, going to Japan, which we're going to talk about uh, here in 
just a little bit over in Kurosawa, which they're doing really well. They decide to sit out that Grand Slam. Uh, that does not help them, though, because they, uh, uh, they, they are not in the Canadian Open. So I know, talking to some of the organizers, they had hoped to get uh, an exemption, but it's pretty tough uh, when you turn down an invitation uh, to a slam earlier in the year to get one of those exemptions. But uh, that's another story. But that's basically where we stand with the Grand Slam of curling. But as you mentioned, Joe, uh, staying uh, overseas, let's stay overseas in uh, China, the King High uh, curling elite, uh, Andrew Stopera, Kate Flannery, they were uh, the two U.S. representatives over there uh, playing, and, and Stopera going forward and forward, just missing on qualifying. I think they lost a tiebreaker to get into the uh, get into basically the quarterfinals as the top core four qualified. Uh, but congratulations to Matt Stone, uh, Matt Dunstone uh, from Canada. They defeat Wukash Klima five to four in the final. Then Kate Flannery. Two and six, they do not qualify. The event is won by Dan- Daniela Gentius from uh, Germany, a really good team that actually uh, has put together a pretty good season, especially at the uh, European Championships where they qualify for the playoffs. They defeat Alina Kovaleva 6-3 to three in the final, Joe. Yes, great experience for both teams getting out of the country, uh, you know, going out trying to qualify for a WCT event uh, across the pond. Uh, some good wins for both teams. Uh, a little bit disappointing that uh, neither could qualify, but you know what? It's it's great experience for them and into the future. Most certainly is. And so let's now uh, turn the page. Another event to look at, uh, the Dakota Challenger Spiel, Joe. Um, that one provided one of the most, inst- uh, I will say, biggest upsets of the season. Um, first of all, congratulations to Kim Rhyme. Uh, they defeated Ann Podal 6-5 to five in the final. Uh, Dominic Mayurki, uh, they defeated Jed Brundage 6-1 in the men's final uh, as both Rhyme and Mayurki uh, win the Dakota Challenger Spiel. But here's the line score that caught my attention. I, Jerry jumped out of bed, uh, and I did too, as soon as he read it off. In the semifinals on the women's side, Joe, Ann Podal defeated Minji Kim 5-3 to three to make the final of the Dakota Challenger Spiel. And just let me put that into perspective here. Uh, Minji Kim right now is ranked uh, 25th in the world, year-to-date rankings uh, according to the World Curling Tour. 25th in the world. That is higher uh, than Jamie Sinclair, Nina Roth, Corey Christensen, all three of our, our, our high-performance uh, national teams. Way higher. I think I want to say, and don't quote me on this, Joe. You might be able to find it as I'm talking. Uh, I'll try and pull it up here in a second. Um, but the those rankings, the World, uh, uh, the world Curling Tour rankings, year-to-date rankings, Minji Kim, 25th in the world, and Ann Podal shocks them and wins 5-3 to three to qualify for the finals of the Dakota Challenger Spiel. Yeah, what an upset. I mean, we saw a little bit of uh, Ann Podal at Nationals last year and a solid uh, skip, um, but nobody, I think, would have predicted that kind of result. No, not at all. Uh, as I'm looking at the result, uh, or excuse me, at the rankings, uh, Ann Podal 172 in the world. Uh, year-to-date rankings. Uh, again, Minji Kim, 25, uh, Ann Podal, 172, uh, Nina Roth, number 29, Jamie Sinclair, number 40, and then Corey Christensen checking in at 62. That's just really what a, what a shock that was. So uh, congratulations to Ann Podal. I know they didn't win it, but, man, what a uh, what an awesome 
you know, win they got. And again, just to put this in perspective, Minji Kim, I'm going to read off their line scores before that game against Podal. They won uh, their previous four games 12 2, 10 1, 8 1, and 8 1. Not even close before the buzz saw that is Ann Podal knocks them out. Wow. Yeah, some North Dakota strength there, right there, getting that done. All right, uh, we got a lot more to get done, Joe. Uh, we've got uh, we're going to do our top five curling moments of the season, and no, John Schuster's win is excluded because I think that's number one, maybe number one sport moment for many of us uh, for the calendar year. I don't know if that might trump uh, Big Bill's upset, but that one uh, that one is not going to be allowed to be used because it's just way too obvious. So we'll have that uh, coming up here in a little bit, Joe. Uh, we've got our uh, interviews in the next segment. Mike Harris will do first, then Brad Gushu, uh, my interview with him after that, and then the segment you can't refuse with San Francisco Bay Area Curling Club, Sarah Walsh and Peter Chorba, as the Godfather himself brings you that segment here in our pre-Christmas, uh, post-Christmas, uh, pre-New Year's, post-New Year's uh, episode number 11 of the Extraction Podcast Show. So we'll be right back. Coming up next, Mike Harris. Brad Gushu, and then our segment you can't refuse. And Joe and I'll be back to wrap it up right here on the Extra Extra. All right, Price Atkinson back here with Mike Harris, the Olympian, Canadian Olympian, and analyst with uh, Sportsnet here as we are in Newfoundland. And, you know, Mike, uh, fourth slam here as we're about to complete it this week. Seems like we just began in Chatham, but you know, I talked to Kevin yesterday, Kevin Martin, your colleague, and you've spent some time in the U.S. And I'm just kind of curious right now, before we get to the slams and everything we're doing here, you know, your sense of where USA curling is now, coming off a big season, Schuster winning the gold, Jamie winning the Players' Championship. You know, what have you gotten a sense of it? Because you were there on the ground in Omaha at the latest World Cup. I was. Uh, I was uh, pleasantly, I don't know, pleasant surprise. Surprise is the wrong word because um, I've got a lot of friends down there in the States that I've uh, curled with and against over the over the number of years. So I'm thrilled for, for where curling is going down there. I, I think it still has a chance to continue to grow and John, of course, winning the World Cup. Yep. Certainly won't help, uh, won't hurt, that is. Uh, speaking with Kevin, I know their uh, NBC's expanded its coverage of the of the, the World Cups also because of the win by uh, by Schuster. So anytime uh, curling grows anywhere in the world, it's fantastic. But I think particularly for our sport, we always, as Canadians, hoped that it would boom. I think that was, uh, you know, we talked about it at the Olympics I was at in 1998. Yep. It would be great if the Americans would win a medal, uh, you know, one below whatever the Canadians did. Of course, that was that was what yep. we were talking about. Yep. But but uh, you know, John winning the gold last year it was a well. You know, first of all, for friends of mine, I'm so happy for them to to, yep. to win. Uh, but certainly for the sport as a whole, I think uh, all of the certainly World Curling Federation was thrilled. And, and uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm impressed where it's gone so far. But I think there's still I think and you would know better than I, but there's certainly. Uh, more growth anticipated over the next few years. Is it too early to, I mean, it's really been mere months, really, since everything kind of transpired to where we are now. So to ask, is it, has it transpired into anything more and to see the growth? But, you know, Thunder Bay, we had seven U.S. teams there. Right. Granted, we didn't get, you know, the kind of results that you hope when you got that volume of teams. But, you know, Nina Groff makes a semi. And, you know, it's going to take some time. But overall, you know, talking to some people, this, you know, some of the players have said, man, it used to be we might only see one U.S. team 
uh, on either side here, men's and women's. Right. We can't even get rid of you guys now. You got a couple. You got, you got more than and, you and we'd like to. Too. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I think I think the cha- the biggest challenge I think for the, for U.S. curling isn't at high performance level. The challenge is infrastructure and grassroots. I think um, you know the interest of people that I've heard of and spoken to. Outweighs the availability of ice surfaces and, and facilities. I think yeah. that's that's a big challenge, and, and uh, you know there's no easy answer to that. Other than you know you're trying to use the arenas that are, are there as, as best you can, and, and and try to you know have people try the sport for you know as, as often as possible. But uh, it's the, the truth is that there's not enough dedicated facilities to, to maybe accommodate the, the, the boom and interest. So yeah. I think that's going to be the number one challenge for U.S. curling over the next few years. But um, I think what the biggest thing that what happened with John and Jamie, but John started the ball rolling yeah. certainly, is that the U.S. teams now feel like they deserve to win these events. I think there's always a, a big brother, little brother uh, scenario with Canadian and U.S. curling. That was the feeling. I don't know. If I, I, yeah, I can only yeah. speak from the Canadian perspective. But now that Jamie won and and John won, two of the biggest events in in our sport, it's it's okay to win now. For if you're an American team to come to these big events and and expect to win, I think yeah. I think that alone changes the, the dynamic for most of the top uh, high performance teams and and why not right yeah. the rock doesn't know who's throwing it you yeah. just got you have to believe in and trust your ability and and uh, you know I, I think that's that's just, that's just positive for, for the sport in general yep as we continue with Mike Harris Olympian analyst for Sportsnet you know sitting here in the booth and uh, keeping Falsy's chair warm but <laughs> when you look at the, some of the conversation that's kind of gone on really in the last couple weeks month or so you know, in, when you're talking about, you know, Schuster, Jamie coming in and winning a couple of the sport's biggest events, was some of that have anything to do, I know Mark Kennedy brought up the, you know, the, 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 the point about basically, you know, hate seeing this Canadian knowledge of the game outsource, you know, to other countries and helping other countries and wow, look, look what we're doing. Right. Does any of that have anything to do with it or is that kind of strictly, look, we did not get the results at the Olympic Games We've got to change something. Well, there's. If we go back to the Olympic Games, my my opinion, mm-hmm. Jamie Cooey, excuse me, Jamie Cooey, <laughs> Kevin Cooey, Jamie's been in the news all lately too. Uh, Kevin Cooey had, for him, a bad day. Lost the semifinal to John Schuster. Yeah. Total you know, tied with the Hammer playing eight. Right in that game, Kevin Cooey wins that game. Not only against John, but any team who wins that game 80% of the time. Yep. Through a bad rock and eight. Now suddenly you're out of the play. Now you got to play to Cruz for a bronze medal. Yep. Uh, bad day. You know, Rachel Holman, bad week. You know, that was it was one of the exact, you know, not what Rachel was hoping for in right. performance. So um, is there a crisis? In, no, there's no yep. crisis. It's a bad day. Bad day at the office. And you look at it that way. And, and uh, you know, and, and the international teams have been growing confidence when they play Team Canada over the last week because the wins just keep coming a little bit more regularly yeah. all the time. Um, as far as as far as coaching, uh, you know, Canadian knowledge going uh, away from from home, it's this is not an unusual thing in in curling, but certainly not in any sport. I mean, there are Austrian ski coaches all over the world that are that are coaching ski teams. Hockey, you look at how many head coaches in the European in Europe and and. Uh, 
uh, you know, Swiss leagues and and in, in the Swedish league, that type of thing, that yep. are, are Canadian. I mean, this is not unusual for our sport. Yep. Um, the other part of it is, and Canadian Curling Association, that's where we have a lot of people here in Canada that, that know a lot about the sport. And there's not enough room in Canada for all the high-performance coaches. You know, I, yeah. I've, I've been working with Scotland over the last few years and, and now China. And uh, the really great thing for me working with these other countries is they're, they're appreciative of your knowledge. First of all, they listen. There, yeah. There's some respect there, which I which I think is great. And, uh, you know, and a lot of, and they said, in Canada, there are so many coaches here. Frankly, it's it's almost an overabundance. So yeah, why not go elsewhere and coach? That's why I look at it and, and uh, spreading um, the the uh, our, you know the experience that we have among other countries. Look at how curling is growing. Yeah, it, I wouldn't say it's growing much in Canada to be honest, but everywhere else in the world, curling is is ever is uh, growing in popularity and more participants. Uh, here's a scary number for you. I know in China, and I've been working over there with them for about six months, yeah. there's a, a mandate to have 130 million people begin participating in winter sports over the next 10 years. If less than 1% of those people are curlers, that's almost a million curlers. So if you think of that number and how many curlers we have here in Canada, similar number in Canada, yep. um, all of a sudden the depth of talent in a country like China, if that comes to fruition, there's going to be a lot of change at the top of the, of the, yeah. of the world when it comes to, to that sport. So, um, and that's the type of country where the infrastructure part of the equation that the U.S. Uh, is struggling with right now, they, you know, China will just build 200 curling clubs. Yeah. You know, I think getting rocks and equipment, that, that's, that's another challenge there, sure, certainly. Sure. But, but uh, they can make that happen uh, with their infrastructure right away. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's good for the sport. And you have to look at the big picture, right? You know, you know Mark's kind of... He works for Curling Canada and uh, does some does some coaching there with them right now. Sure. So um, I understand his his uh, apprehension for spreading the wealth sort of thing. But I think it's great. I think it's great for for the sport in general. And uh, you know, I said I've I've been fortunate to work with some great athletes and and uh, people who have become friends. And, yep. and uh, I'm really enjoying working with Team China. To be honest, I mean, yep. it's a huge language barrier there for me. But uh, certainly. Like I said, they're they're willing to try. They listen, um, and uh, they're very appreciative of, of of Canadians. And this is not the first. I'm not the first Canadian to work with Team China by right. any means. Marcel Rock, of course, ran their yep. program for for seven for several years, and and uh, Dan Raphael before him. So um, you know, there's there's uh, there's growth happening, whether Canada wants it to or not. Right. <laughs> And you mentioned China because that's a perfect segue. Someone to ask you about that, not just specifically your role, what you're doing with the Chinese and helping doing some coaching as you were there in Omaha. Uh, looked a little odd and a little bit different shade of red. Not much of a different shade than the maple leaf. Right. I was joking. At least the jacket's red and white, right? That's okay. That's the only good. That's the only similarity, really. No, but besides China, I mean, China obviously is the beast over there, but, you know, South Korea hosting the last Olympics. You had the South Korean uh, women who win the silver medal. Uh, you got Japan with what's coming up in, in the next Winter Olympic Games. Right. It's around the corner. But really, that Asian market, uh, the Curling World Cup, for it, and basically come.
coming spawning out of China. Crazy. You've got the China Open that, that was played a little bit earlier in the year. Big event going on this weekend in, in Xining. So, yeah, yep. it's, you know, the Asia market is, people don't understand the, I mean, I didn't understand until yep. recently the, the volume of people over there that watch curling. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, Fujisawa, who won the World Cup and a bronze medal in, uh, in Pyeongchang, Talking to their coach JD Lynn, another Canadian is working with them. Yep. <laughs> the gun JD's been there for a number of years now. Uh, those girls are legit superstars. Yep. They are celebrities in Japan sure. because of their performance. But you know the uh, semifinal game between Japan and Korea at the Olympics, probably one of the best women's games, if not the best women's game I've ever covered. Had 160 million people watching that game. Wow! If you think of that, 50 million or so in Korea. Wow. You know, the garlic girls just took the took the country by storm. Yep. And in uh, Japan, they I think they had 90 million or so, plus everyone else in the world. I mean, yep. it's crazy, crazy numbers. Yep. Um, you know, we were happy on the biggest shows in Canada to get a couple million people during the Olympics. I think we had 10 million for one of our gold medal games a few yep. years ago. Uh, but you know that doesn't even touch uh, this the semifinal of the Olympics. Yeah, you know, 100, 150 million people. So wow. you know there's a massive, massive interest in the sport overseas and and uh, and, and in particular in in, uh, in Asia. And I, I'm, I think it's just great for the sport. And, and I think I think like I said, all growth is good. All any news is good news. Yeah. So you know I think all have more power to the to, to those countries. Yeah. Last question for you, Mike, is you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Harris Curls, analyst with Sportsnet. As we're sitting in the Sportsnet booth at the fourth Grand Slam, the Boost National, and Mike, you know, the way the slams have, have grown, have exploded, you know, just to even, you know, get into a slam now, you know, it's just immensely difficult. The opportunities you get to go play or points on tour to get in, the opportunities are there. But once you get in, you know, I've tried to talk to a lot of people back in the U.S. and, you know, obviously, you know, the shoes and the Sinclairs of the world, you know, people know, but, you know, when you come up to a, a Grand Slam event, there are no easy outs, and we talk about all the time, when you, right. no matter the pool you're in, you know, I always say, well, pool A is tougher than C, well, they're all tough because there are no easy wins in there, but, you know, the kind of competition that the highest, uh, you know, the best of the best get coming here to Canada and playing in these seven Grand Slam events, you know, just kind of speak to what these events are like for those back in the U.S. who have not had that chance to experience. Well, you, the, the great news, when you go to a world championship, for, and this all, that's the best reference for uh, maybe U.S. audiences, that, you know, half of the teams there have no chance of winning. Yeah. Like, to be frank, same at the Briar. Yeah. You know, even yeah. at, our, at our Briar, there's four or five teams really that you have to focus on or have, have a chance of winning. Right. When you come to an event like this, to your point, uh, you know, 15th seed can come into one of these things and potentially win. And I think the important thing is to remember, and, and the other misconception, I'll say this is a misconception, is that there's a feeling that the slams are a closed shop, that only, it's really hard to get into. I can tell you right now that you've got a, a, two examples here. Scott McDonald, a team from Ontario, and then you've got Calvert from Winnipeg, yep. who went out at the start of the season, played a ton of bond spiels, did well, yep. and all of a sudden they've qualified outright for these slams. I, and people, I've had people, oh, it's a, you know, some of the, I call them quasi-competitive, wrong way to put it, but, yep. you know, teams that just aren't quite there uh, from the right town level said, well, we can't get into the slams. That's crap. You can right. get into the slams. You've got to go out and play, and you got to win, and that's the challenge, is you got to win these 
the B circuit's a wrong term, but early in the season, there's enough points available that if you go play and you win a couple of spiels early, you're going to generate enough points. And I said, Scott McDonald, he lost the final of the tier two. Everyone so disappointed that he didn't get into the slam, but he'd already qualified for this one. Right. So, you know, there's a team that, that's doing well. They've, now they're here, first slam. Oh, yep. they're over. You know, not close, right? They're not doing all that well here, but we all, we say we all, all the teams yep. that were new into the slams really have a hard time in this environment. Yep. Because like I said, my, my line always is, if you don't know who the easy team in your pool is, you're it. <laughs> so, you gotta, you know, I can well tell said. you right now, Team Gushu, Team Kui, Team Jacobs, they yep. look at the couple games in their pools, wow, we gotta win that game. Right. You know, that's right. that's how they look at it. Where, and, until you get to that, your top five in the world, you know, you're, you're, yep. you're right, all the games are tough. Well, Mike, it's uh, good to have just a couple minutes with you. Always appreciate it. I guess now's the time maybe to uh, publicly congratulate you on your 50-50 win last night. Oh, right? yeah. Big first news. one? Was that your first well, one? Listen, or was that Kevin's first? We're all of us. So Kevin Martin and I and Rob Falls and Jerry Gertz, yep. you know well, we for all these years, and every draw, we throw in 20 bucks. So we're five, about five bucks a guy. So we did the math last night, and uh, Kevin's only been on the crew for five years, so we'll go with Kevin's math. But he goes, it's about $75 to $80 per event right times seven events so that's 500 plus dollars over five years twenty five hundred dollars and now we have 160 dollars each in our pocket we're still calling it a win but it's not really a big <laughs> so, win not yeah. a big win and you know my wife's here and i had to give her half so yep. i'm down to 80 bucks already so anyway we're happy to we, rob and i said we should be inducting the canadian curling all fame just for <laughs> contributions to junior programs across country for yep. our 50 50 losses there you go always a pleasure mike thanks bryce here this week on the Extra Extra Podcast with the 12-Men Sports Network, Brad Gushu, the man of the hour here in Newfoundland as we are in your hometown, St. John's. Technically, we're a little bit north, but what a is this coming to you next the week after, but what has this been week been like for you, Brad, to get to play the the Boost National at Grand Slam event? The fact you don't have to get on an airplane to go yeah. play somewhere. You know what? It, it's, it's been a lot of fun. The way the community has supported and, um, you know, the cheer and, and the excitement around the community for, for having our team and having this event here has been incredible. Obviously, with that, there's some negatives. Um, you know, we've been really busy with other commitments and, and uh, people that want to see us, sponsors, all that stuff, which is which is an important part of it. And then you have the, um, you know, that kind of stress that where you just want to play your best in front of your friends and family. That that may you know makes it a challenge, but uh, I love the the opportunity to play at home and, yeah. and play in front of friends and family. So I wouldn't change it for the world. Was it? Was there a little bit of like extra stress just because you want to do well when you're at home and the people that get to see you? Yeah, I, you know, you're always just a little bit more on edge. I, I wouldn't say we were more nervous or anything yeah. like that. But you know what? You, when you, you miss a shot, you're just a little bit more disappointed, and uh, you know you push just a little harder to make yeah. the shot, and and all that. You know, those little bits add up to a, a fair bit. And you look back on it, and probably wasn't our best performance this week. But you know what? We we grinded our way through and, and got to the playoffs and uh, gave ourselves a chance and came up against just a, you know, a buzzsaw and Bruce, Bruce Muad, uh, the way he played against us in that quarterfinals was incredible. And, and he followed it up then against Kevin in the semifinals. 
you know, came out a little bit flat in, in the final. But um, those two games that he put together against us and Kevin was it was pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible week, incredible scene here. Just the crowds got louder. It seemed like each day, passing day, they got louder and louder. And you know, personally, I was hoping we would have that loud yeah. electric crowd here to, uh, this afternoon. But um, you know, the, I, I know that you know playing at home. Getting to see having your kids to be able to come to the rink. How special was that? Because dad's always on the road. You have to do some FaceTiming. You got to Skype and all that. But just to have them here with you. Yeah, yeah. We tried to stay in our, our normal routine, and we, we stayed at a hotel this week. But you know, before each game, got to give the girls a hug and kiss and see them. Uh, you know, see them after the game as yeah. well, and and knowing that they're watching us and, and seeing you know uh, a couple thousand people here cheering for us, it's yeah. that's a pretty pretty cool feeling. Um, you know, we've been pretty fortunate having the opportunity to play four events, uh, three slams, and, and a briar in, in our hometown, and. You know, we've had a lot of success. We lost two finals. We won the Briar, and, and you know, this week was uh, was kind of the different one. But uh, um, you know, they're getting older now. My oldest is 11 years old, and, yep. and for her to, to witness this and, and be part of it, and she's out there change, going to be changing the bumpers today. And my nephews yep. are are going to be in the mascot outfit just and getting to meet you know Anna Hasselberg and Rachel Holman and, and all the the other teams. I think it's going to be a great experience for them. And and hopefully time to the game even more than what they are right now. It's so funny uh, going up and down George Street, not that much, mind you, but, uh, you know, meeting the, everybody around, just the, the, the kindness. I mean, everything I heard about Newfoundland is beyond blown away. But so many people just, were you here in 2016? Were you here when the Briar was at mile one? Did you get to, I can't begin to tell you the stories I heard from person after person after person that just recanted what the electricity, this how special that was for you guys. And not to take you back there, but yeah. I'm sure that probably comes up. You hear that all the time here. Uh, absolutely. You know, we get, we get, I, I went years um, where every day I would hear a story of where someone was when we won the Olympics in 2006. You yeah. know, what happened? And, you know, they shut the schools down, the provincial offices got shut down, and basically work in this province came to a halt. Uh, you know, and then fast forward to 11 years later when the Briar was here and the excitement. And, you know, I still remember after the final and we had to go through all the stuff that, you do, that happens after you win, yep. sign-in forms, meetings, all that stuff, uh, drug testing. Uh, you know, we were a good two hours after the game and there was still... 2,000 people at the Briar Patch waiting for us, and and still hundreds of people outside trying to get in. Um, wow. You know, and that party went on for hours, and, and uh, you know it was a wild scene. Anybody that was there was just yeah. completely shocked at at the excitement and the enthusiasm. And you know, I'm I'm not sure that'll ever be replicated in my career, which is which is kind of disappointing. But you know what? It, it doesn't it doesn't even need to get to you know one tenth of what we experienced yeah. there. It, it'd still be a pretty good feeling, but. Um, you know, those two moments were pretty, pretty incredible to be part of. Yep. I, I know what the answer from you would be, but, and certainly anybody that is a Team Gushu fan, but, you know, the chatter, the talk, uh, possibilities of a slam coming back here next year, maybe on some annual basis. I think I'd speak for everybody outside of Team Gushu. Yeah. You know, that just is a fan of this sport. Why not bring this thing here every year? The fans are amazing, Brad. Yeah, I I don't see any reason for it. Obviously, it's not the easiest place in the world to get to, um, but the enthusiasm and the support of, of the fans each time an event comes here is, is second to none. Yeah. And from a curler's perspective, I know when we play anywhere, I love playing in front of full crowds and, yeah. and you know raucous crowds. And and when we go to you know a place like. 
you know, North Battleford, Saskatchewan, we know it's going to be full. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting to me. I don't, yeah. I don't care how hard it is to get there. And listen, North Battleford's not easy to get to. Um, yeah. But I, I, I look forward to that because I want to play in front of in front of people that are, you know, going to cheer when you make good shots and not necessarily boo, but you know, they're going to be quiet when you when you when you miss stuff. Um, that's fun. And, and from what I've heard from all the curlers here this week is. You know, they want to play on our draws, the, yeah. you know, to get that excitement, to get that feel. Right. You know, that's what we all play for. And, and um, you know, you see it in all the other sports at the top level, whether it be the NFL or, mm-hmm. or Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL. You know, when the crowds get into it, that's when you want to you yeah. want to be part of it, that playoff atmosphere. And, and we had that here this week. You know, going looking at the season, I know last year you would love a couple redos, you know, just coming within a whisker twice yeah, yeah. um you know but you gear up you got all four guys back you're going to make a commitment to another quadrennial another run you know at the olympics yeah with the season starting seemingly earlier now with you know you got the china open you've got uh the curling world cup now in august with china i mean the, the middle break do you did you get enough of some of that but with things starting earlier because you know, teams are going out and playing yeah. especially coming off the pressure that you guys went through last year well, we, we made a conscious effort to start our season later uh, and, and to make it lighter. Uh, I think this is our sixth event, maybe seventh, where most teams probably is in their 11th and 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of that was we didn't feel we got enough of the rest in, in the summer or yeah. we're going to get it because, you know, our, our season went right into May last year. And, and uh, you know, it was a very long season when you include the trials and the Olympic trials. And then we, we went through the Briar and the Worlds. There was no yeah. other team in the world that had to go through that right. and uh, it was exhausting and, and um, you know I wasn't super excited for the season to start this year just because I you know it was such a grind over the last couple of seasons and mm-hmm. you know I feel good now but um, you know we have to make sure we rest enough at, at the age that we're at um, you know we're not we're not the 21 22 year olds that are just excited to go 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 right you know we we, we have kids we have jobs um, we have wives uh, you know, there's other obligations. So for us, it's really going to be about balance in the next couple of years and uh, making sure that when we get to the big moments, you know, whether it be a briar or whether it be the players' championship mm-hmm. or um, or the Olympic trials, yep. you know, we need to make sure that we're healthy, excited to be there and, and yeah, yeah. in top shape. I've loved coming up north across the border here and getting making so many good Canadian friends and the experiences, you know, on the slam circuit this year. And I know we're excited to have you back in, in the States, you know, yeah. coming up here in a couple of weeks in Las yeah. Vegas, yeah. Continental Cup. This time is going to be a little bit more fun. I mean, the world champ- you're competing for a world championship, a world title. There's distractions I know you yeah. talked about last time. Yeah. It just it wasn't normal, but this time going back to Vegas, looking forward to the format, the all-star type format, you know, just to go and have some fun. Yeah, it's it's a much more conducive um, <laughs> format to uh, yeah. to Las Vegas than a world championship. Sure. Obviously, in a world championship, you re- for our team, when we go to those big events, we try and stay in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, creating a bubble in Las Vegas is next to impossible. <laughs> uh, I think any professional athlete, any person that's been to Las yeah. Vegas will would certainly echo those, those comments. Uh, but with the Continental 
Cup, it is much more of a fun event. Um, for us as, as players, you know, we got the, the, the mixed teams, the mixed up teams, I guess, uh, the mixed doubles. There's a lot of different aspects to it where, you know, you're, you're not going in with the same intensity you would at a world championship. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we all want to win and we want to beat Europe as bad as yep. they want to beat us. Uh, but we know there's gonna, we're going to be throwing some curveballs um, that you just can't anticipate or, or expect. And, um, you know, I don't know who I'm going to be playing with. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what their, you know, strengths and weaknesses are and, and stuff like that. So you just got to kind of roll with it and enjoy yeah. it. And, and I think having it in Vegas is, is going to make it a whole lot more fun for, for everybody's perspective, the players and the fans. All right, last question for you. You, you obviously got a gold medal, uh, won it 2006 in Torino. Uh, watching Schuster and those guys kind of go through this, you know, neighbors now. I mean, just, you yeah. know, obviously just, you know, down the road, so to speak. But, you know, watching what they're going through and seeing, you know, kind of the, I want to say, explosion of the game in, in the States. But just kind of what that gold medal has done for curling, at least down in the United States, clubs popping up, the yeah. interest. I mean, what just your take on that thought? You know what? When when uh, it was hard for me to watch the Olympics last year, yeah. uh, coming so close in, in both uh, the men's and the mixed. Uh, but as I was watching it, you, you know, obviously you cheer for Canada because that's where you're from. Sure. But when Canada was out um, and and going into it, uh, if Canada didn't win, I wanted the U.S. to win mm-hmm. because really that's where we need the, the game to grow. Um, and to see John and his team win yep. and to see how they're enjoying the, the accolades that come with it and yep. the opportunities, you know, that, that they've had. You know, a little bit of jealousy. I'm not going to lie. It's it's pretty pretty cool some of the stuff that they got to do compared to compared to what we got. But it's great for for the growth of the game, and, yep. and hopefully they continue on as ambassadors. And, and I think they have a you know they have to acknowledge the position that they're in. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure they have other goals uh, in their curling careers, but. For the future of the game, I think they just have to advocate as much as they can and, yeah. and use the platform that they have to to grow the game because what they did is probably going to be, um, I would say, the biggest growth factor in, in probably the last 20 years and probably the next 20 years. Yep. Um, you know, the there's such a huge population in the sponsorship money that's available in, in the U.S. Um, to have them win a gold and, and continue on to be successful and, and expose more and more people to it, yep. it's it's huge. Brad, you're an incredible gentleman. Just thanks for a few minutes. Love watching you play and just have, have enjoyed every minute of this experience, you know, up here in Newfoundland in your hometown. And be, be remiss if we didn't say Merry Christmas to you. Yes, Merry Christmas to you, and, and hopefully we'll see a slam in the U.S. someday. Too. Absolutely. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Welcome again to the segment you can't refuse. It's the Godfather, Joe Calabrese. And it's the segment where we talk to and recognize curling clubs from across the country. This week, we have two guests from the left coast. Let's welcome Peter Chorba and Sarah Walsh from the San Francisco Bay Curling Club. Sarah and Pete, welcome to the Extra Extra End. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Sarah, you're the president of the club. In checking out your website, I was a bit shocked as to the club's age. When did the club start? And give us a little bit of a history lesson. Sure. The club started in 1958, so we celebrated our 60th anniversary this year. And uh, it's, it's been off and on a little bit over the years. Uh, there was actually a dedicated facility in Mountain View, California for two or three years in the early 60s. The site of that is now a Google parking lot. Uh, fun trivia fact. After we lost the dedicated club, 
Uh, we moved around from ice rink to ice rink for a uh, membership got down to the probably double digits during the 70s, just a group of people getting together real early on Sunday mornings a couple times a year, but then picked back up after the, the sport started to grow and get recognition for being in the Olympics um, in, in the 90s. So we've, we've gone up and down over the years in membership, um, but we're, we're pretty close to our peak right now. And uh, we, we finished the last membership year in September with just shy of 250 members. So uh, we're in a good place right now. Don't see us going south anytime soon. That sounds great. You have quite a bit of um, population in the Oakland, uh, San Francisco Bay area, about 800, or I'm sorry, 8 million residents. Is that right? Uh, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, and you're the only facility in that area, correct? We're not, actually. Oh. Um, we were, for a very long time, the only facility in this area. But um, when we started our effort towards building a dedicated facility, we actually um, split off the club, um, South Bay and North Bay. So we had we had three facilities that we were working in, and uh, the curlers in the southernmost facility in San Jose have formed their own club, the Silicon Valley Curling Club. So they're about 60 miles south of us. And also we have... Um, the Oakland Ice Center, where we used to play up until this past summer, has formed their own curling club as well that is currently in the process of seeking USCA membership. Well, that's terrific. Uh, splitting off like that into some multiple clubs uh, gives people from that area multiple choices. Peter, you've only been curling for about 10 months. What attracted you to curling and why the San Francisco Bay Curling Club specifically? I first got interested in curling after the Vancouver Olympics, uh, but I ended up moving to China shortly after that, and I wasn't able to actually try curling, but I still watched it a lot on TV. And then when I moved to San Francisco a year and a half ago, I actually saw the curling club in the Gay Pride Parade and sort of had a surprise reaction about, oh, wow, there's curling in this area. I, ha I had no idea. And I filed that in the back of my brain, and then... Once the Olympics in Korea came around, I remembered, oh, yeah, there's the curling club. I should go try to learn to curl before the Olympic rush arrives to the club. And sure enough, I signed up for a learn to curl and then uh, went to the learner series, which then developed to the instructional league. And then now I'm playing a league, you know, every season. Well, that's pretty terrific. So you're playing uh, once a week, twice a week. What are you doing? Uh, I'm playing about once a week, sometimes twice a week. Um depending on schedule and what have you. Uh, but the club has been really great about structuring the environment for new curlers so that when you join to learn the Learn to Curl and you have a great time, you can just immediately move on to the Learner Series, which is a four-week course. Then you can do the Instructional League, where you play league matches against other beginners, but you have a experienced member there to help you with strategy and ice reading and, and what have you. And then you sort of graduate to the full leagues where you're playing with a regular team. Um, so I think what's great about our club is that for beginners like me, it's been just a really great natural progression. And now I want to go to every bond spiel that I can and play every league that I can. Just the passion and the devotion for it was cultivated because of that process. Um, I think some other clubs, if you just have to learn to curl, once it's over, you don't know what to do next. But I think what's kind of sucked me into the club and a lot of the other beginners at our club is just you you just go from one thing to the next. Yeah, that sounds terrific. It's great to have that kind of progression uh, for a new curler. 
Uh, when, when you reached out to me, Peter, you talked to me a little bit about um, the passion, the diversity, the talent, and technology. That's a direct quote. Um, tell me about what makes your club so special. I think what makes our club so special is that it really represents the Bay Area well, where there's complete diversity. People are just incredibly talented, passionate about everything. I mean, if you come to the Bay Area, you will meet people who are super passionate about sailing, rock climbing, hiking, cat grooming, whatever it is, people in the Bay Area are passionate about it. And that's that's exactly what the people are in our club. You know, what got me interested in keep going uh, to keep progressing in curling was the other people around me who were like, no, you got to get the best broom. Then you've got to get the shoes. And like just that kind of passionate environment, like really attracted me to keep going. Not to mention because we're in the technology area the near the Silicon Valley, people in our club work for some of the top technology companies in the world but also work in the nonprofit sector, for the government. They just a really diverse group of people that you honestly couldn't write a sitcom to create. These people are just really great characters. And every time I go curling, I look forward to not only playing on the ice, but to the broom stacking afterwards. It's just a really great, fun community. Well, that sounds terrific to have that kind of diversity and talent uh, in one area, uh, in one club is, is something truly special. Uh, Sarah, let's let's get to business here. And uh, the club is making the transition from an arena ice facility to a dedicated facility in Oakland. What's the current status of that facility? And where are you in terms of uh, the fundraising for that? So um, we are in progress right now. So we have a building. We're we're leasing a fifteen thousand square foot um, facility. It'll be a five sheet club, and uh, we have completed demo and we uh, have received one of our three permits. We're still waiting on two others uh, before we can really start construction in earnest. But we're right now lining up contractors. Our equipment's on order and it's starting to show up at the building. So uh, we're really right in the middle of it right now. Once we get those last two permits um, approved and, and we have the uh, the construction crew signed on, we expect it'll it'll take us about six weeks to really get open from there. So we're looking at uh, a March open right now. Uh, fingers crossed. You never know with construction what delays can come up. But really um, pushing for March uh, so that we can get in the second half of our season. And we intend to stay open year-round um, with, with a short shutdown towards the end of the summer to take the ice out and just put it right back in, do any small repairs that we need to do. And uh, we're, we're really excited about it. Um, fundraising is still ongoing. We, we're in a good position to get open, um, get ice in, and meet the minimum requirements for code to occupy the building. And then we'll phase it out from there as money comes through. So we'll start with the bare minimum, and then start adding you know, the locker rooms and a mezzanine viewing area and a snack bar and things like that that are less crucial to the business of curling. All right, so we're talking with Sarah Walsh and Peter Chorba from the San Francisco Bay Curling Club. Uh, Sarah, uh, so once the facility is built, what kinds of programs are you going to be planning? Uh, everything we can. You know, we've been we've been working at getting a facility open in earnest since 2012. So we've had a lot of time to think about this. So we're really looking forward to, in addition to just the the traditional um, men's, women's mixed. And open leagues, of course, a lot of open leagues because that's where most of our members enjoy. Also, we're really excited about mixed doubles since that's a, a new discipline that people are really starting to pick up interest in. 
And we, we really want to have a robust uh, junior and youth program. And because of our area, we're really focused on equity. Uh, so we want to make it as low cost as we possibly can, um, even free in a lot of cases to get the kids out there uh, who may never have um, exposure to our sport and, and try something different uh, from what they're used to. So we're, we're really excited to get a lot of kids through the door um, and make it as accessible as we can. We also have um, a partnership with the Center for Independent Living, which is an organization in the Bay Area that um, serves wheelchair users and adaptive needs. So um, in partnership with them, we'll be having a wheelchair and accessible um, curling as well. Well, that's great. It seems like you're making the game accessible to just about everybody in your community. I had a question a little bit. You mentioned the mixed doubles discipline. It's not really something that's taken off in my curling club. What makes you believe that it's sort of the one of the futures of your club? Well, we actually tried um, a mixed doubles mini league um, for a, num- a number of uh, seasons when we had a little bit of extra ice time before the Olympics. Post-Olympics, you know, the ice was totally full, and so we couldn't really afford to um, cut down the number of curlers in half. But we did run a mixed doubles league for a while. It was actually an open doubles league um, instead of mixed. But um, it was pretty popular, and people seemed to enjoy it. There's some struggles with it on arena ice, especially when the ice is only going in one direction. And so you can only throw in turns. <laughs> makes it a little bit more challenging for a game that's all about the draw. But people were really excited about it, and we have a lot of couples in the club and if we make it an open league, which we will probably do to start, you know, we have a lot of friends who come out. So I think it's a really good way to get new curlers to stick with it, who come with a friend or who come as a couple uh, to really do something that they can do together. Yeah, you know, that's really the first time I've heard that as sort of a, a good argument for mixed doubles is that, you know, a lot of people join and they join with maybe one friend and they get paired up with, uh, you know, other people for a four-person team and maybe those people don't stick it out and then they have to question whether or not they're going to stick it out. If With mixed doubles, you, you only need that one partner. Uh, that's a really good argument for it. I, I like that a lot. So, Sarah, we talked a little bit about your target date of opening the new facility. Uh, that'll be sometime, hopefully sometime in March. What do you still need to do and, and how can listeners help you get to where you need to be? Well, money is always a good solution. Um, we have a blog, dedicatedice.com, um, and you can go there and uh, make a, a small donation if you can. We have some uh, gifts for the different levels of donation. Um, we also have a fundraiser on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, you can go to our Facebook page, um, the San Francisco Bay Area Curling Club, and find our fundraiser and donate there. Um, we're super appreciative of uh, any pennies you can throw our way. And, you know, beyond that, just keep an eye out for uh, when we open up and start hosting some bond spiels and come on out and visit us. Well, that sounds really great. And so listeners get on that, check out that uh, blog, dedicatedice.com. What, what a great URL. I like that. You know, if anybody's read any kind of article about the Bay Area, they know that the cost of living in the Bay Area is extremely high. So I would encourage listeners to donate just because, the costs that we have are going to be much higher than perhaps in a different area of the country. So we need to raise even more money than is than is required at a regular club uh, because of the construction costs and the real estate values and, and all of that. Very good. And it's, it's your plan to make this a five-sheet facility? Is that what I read? That's right, five sheets. Very good. Uh, so I want to thank you both for being on the podcast today. This is Sarah Walsh and Peter Chorba from the San Francisco Bay Curling Club. Uh, make sure you go and visit that uh, blog, dedicatedice.com, and support the San Francisco Bay Curling Club however you can in the future. 
If you'd like your club featured on the podcast, you can email me at joe at tesn.us. And don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast or you'll be sleeping with the fishes. Final segment here, Bryce Atkinson again and joined by the godfather himself, Joe Calabrese, as you just heard that interview with the Bay Area Curling Clubs, Sarah Walsh and Peter Chorba. Pretty appreciate them joining you, Joe, there in that last segment as you were able to catch up with them uh, earlier in the week. And then also uh, my friends Mike Harris and then Brad Gushu uh, talking with them up in St. John's uh, during a couple breaks in the action uh, of the Boost National last week in Newfoundland. So really good stuff from them. Uh, we got more to do here in this uh, this segment, Joe, as we'll do our top five uh, curling moments of the season when it comes to uh, USA Curling. We'll do that. A uh, couple uh, couple notes just to pass along real quick. Again, we talked about the website hit, hit usacurl.org if you have not done so already with all your devices to uh, help unlock some funding and hit a season end goal as uh, the USOC will, uh, will be giving uh, USA Curling $75,000 to help grow the sport. If we can just hit that mark, less than 1000 to go. So we need you to hit usacurl.org on all your devices. Also, the full season of Curling Night in America, it is available online. Another one of those things you can find at usacurl.org. Make sure you check that out. Continental Cup tickets, Joe. Certainly those, a great stocking stuffer idea. Had Rod Paulson on a couple weeks ago. Um, We'll have John Killerin on after uh, the new year uh, to talk about the Continental Cup in Las Vegas. That is a must-see, must-attend event uh, out there at the Orleans uh, Arena in Orleans Casino. Uh, So check them out online. Continental Cup tickets going hot, going heavy. It will be an event you just do not want to miss if you're in that neck of the woods. And also... Joe, something really cool. I, I don't think we've had a chance to really touch on it here, uh, but a, a an event that John Schuster has, has kind of crafted and, and dreamed up and, and put together, which I think is just a, a remarkable idea uh, to come up with a five and under U.S. Curling National Championship, Joe, uh, teaming up with the USCA, the U.S. Women's Curling Association, and the Duluth Curling Club to come up with a five and under national championship. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea there, Price. Uh, When I was a uh, young adult starting this game, if I had had an opportunity to do something like this, I definitely would have tried for it. Yeah, it's uh, it's I I guess for, you know, the adults who are sort of chasing the dream late in life, uh, this is a great way for them to get some competition before they kind of graduate to that next level. Yeah, if you want if you want more information, uh, www.5unationals.com. Again, www.5unationals.com. Eligibility, if you have questions, uh, information is all right there. 5unationals.com. Check it out. I just think it's a phenomenal, um, you know, John, really that idea to come up with to try and grow the game and get more kids involved. Just a, a, a fantastic idea. Uh, and I, I, I'm really excited to see how it's going to come together. That might be one of those we have to try and get on TESN. Yeah, I think, you know, Duluth obviously is one of the TESN affiliates. So I would hope that uh, we'll be able to webcast as much of that as we can that would be really cool so uh just a couple things to hit on right there is this is our last episode and we will come to you after january the first our first episode will be uh in 2019 probably january 3rd most likely it'll be out friday january the 4th so we'll have uh, more to talk about then uh when we come back but uh joe a couple things uh ongoing right now uh right now over in japan in kurzawa uh, John Schuster, 3-0, and leading Pool A. Uh, and then Reed Carruthers, uh, really enjoy those guys. Uh, Haji and, and Reed, I mean, those are, about, those are two of the, 
nicest guys on tour. Mike McEwen, uh, he's over there with them. And um, I believe they had a change in the lineup. I can't remember which one sat out. But anyway, nonetheless, Reed Carruthers 3-0 leading Pool B. Uh, and then you've got a uh, Japanese team from Sapporo leading Pool C is every single team in that uh, event. There's 15 uh, teams on the men's side. Everybody is uh, from Japan except there's two Korean teams and then Carruthers from Canada and Schuster from the U.S. Right now, John has qualified for the playoffs, and they are 3-0 and and looking good. Yeah, good thing for them. Uh, hopefully they'll get a chance to play Carruthers uh, you know, in the final. That would make for some very good entertainment. Yeah, especially being undefeated, eh? I mean, that would be yeah. – uh, you know, uh, you go all that way. I mean, you obviously, I mean, you don't go all that way just to just to get a participation trophy. You go all that way because you want to uh, you want to qualify and you want to win. And that would be another big feather in the cap after John and those guys defeat Nicholas Adin to win the Curling World Cup uh, that second leg in Omaha. Uh, some other some more really good points uh, to accrue on tour. Uh, especially after missing a couple slams, those are those are much needed points, and you want to get those. We'll just touch on it real, real quickly. Uh, Laura Walker from uh, Canada, uh, she is three and zero leading Pool A. Uh, Yoshimura, uh, who we just saw uh, at uh, the last slam, they got <laughs> they hustled back over there. They are leading Pool B, three and zero, and then Nakajima, she uh, has won Pool C at four and zero. The only other non-Asian uh, teams that are playing over there. Uh, Anna Sidorova sitting 2-1 and one in Pool B, and then Sophie Jackson from Scotland uh, is 2-1 and one in Pool C. So no U.S. flavor uh, there on the women's side in Kurosawa, but uh, go John Schuster, go guys. Hope, hope they can win that thing. Uh, Joe, mixed doubles challenge round right now underway in Grand Forks, North Dakota, the final three spots to the mixed doubles curling nationals uh, later next year on the line in Grand Forks. Yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, sort of the first two draws of, uh, of a uh, triple knockout tournament. There's three qualifiers that are going to come from this um, right now. You know, if, if I was sort of, uh, you know, handicapped in the field, probably the ter- uh, Taylor Anderson, Derek McLean uh, rank would probably look pretty good to me. And then I would also probably guess that the uh, Stoltz, Maureen and Peter uh, were likely to probably get one of those spots. But uh, it's very early yet. Um, Taylor is winning her first game. She got a buy in her first uh, in the first draw was winning her uh, game as we're on the air right now. Uh, looking like she's going to be cruising in to uh, a possible semifinal in the A, in the a bracket. So the uh, Mixed Doubles National Championship, those will be uh, February 27th through the March 3rd at the Granite Curling Club in Seattle. So uh, make sure to stay tuned for that as that will be broadcast on TESN, Joe. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm getting out. Uh, the Our crew's going to be heading out to Seattle just for that. How about that one? All right, uh, Joe, now uh, now time to we, – we've hit on all the results. We've, we've hit on everything uh, ongoing. I know you and I need to uh, to get a bet set up for the Citrus Bowl between my alma mater and yours. We'll do that in a second. Yes. But, 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 top five curling moments of the season, number five in your book, go. Oh, you know, I would say probably – I know we, we – not talking about Schuster's win, but I think the the aftermath of his win, um, sort of seeing this explosion of of curling in the aftermath of that gold medal, um, between places that didn't traditionally have curling starting to have curling and places that had arena clubs 
uh, working their way to dedicated clubs. We've been talking about it just about every week on the Extra Extra End uh, segment you can't refuse. These places are popping up everywhere, and I think that that would be one of my, uh, my moments from the year. Yeah, I might say, uh, Kale, you know, so much has happened, I, and largely because some of my role uh, in just trying to be a little bit different, but I think ticking off Kirstie Alley would be number five in my book, making, <laughs> making her mad back during the Olympics, and, you know, the way that uh, garnered some headlines, it was uh, kind of <laughs> unintentional, so to speak. If you if you want to know more about it or uh, you need some more insight on it, uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Price Atkinson or certainly uh, they can hit you up on Twitter. But, Joe, uh, you know, that that uh, the headlines that popped up on that from uh, from from E online to Yahoo News, Washington Post, uh uh, Good Morning America talking about it. Uh, <laughs> USA Curling uh, Olympians slam Kirstie Alley, those kind of things. I, because of the, what I was doing with John and them during the Olympics, I, that was one I just got a chuckle about. So it was it was more of a personal highlight, I guess, maybe than a curling highlight. Well, I don't know. I mean, it really put it put curling on the map. Uh, for a few days where things were looking a little bleak uh, in general. And uh, now, you know, it, 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 I, maybe it helped turn the corner there, Price. I mean, we used, we used to call it the podcast bump. Maybe there was a social media bump there. Yeah, there very well could have been. I think there, I think it, I, I definitely think, uh, I mean, certainly anytime you can get curling in the, in the news, it's a good thing. And, you know, while it was kind of an unintended consequence, <laughs> the way that played out, I do think it played out in all our favor. Um, and I say all our, but uh, give me number four, Joe, on your list. Uh, I would say number four would probably be mixed doubles debut at the Olympics with the Hamiltons out there. I think, um, you know, the media attention that, that, uh, the Hamiltons got was was terrific, um, and I think it was a, a good moment for Curling to get that discipline in and sort of have it highlighted early in the Olympic draw, and it really set the table for um, a very Curling heavy Olympic coverage. Yep, yep, that's a good one. Uh, that would have that was going to be on my list. I didn't want to duplicate you on that one, but I, I will tell you from uh, one of my uh, another personal one, and these are all fairly personal as we're picking our own. But and we have not compared. We have not compared notes uh, in advance, but. Um, I think Nina Ross uh, winning six to five over Jennifer Jones in the quarterfinals uh, of the Tour Challenge in Thunder Bay. Uh, that was the second time that she had beaten Jennifer uh, in a slam this season. But to come back after being down four to two after five ends, the way Nina and Becca, uh, Tara and Tab clawed back to win that game. Uh, before a packed house there in Thunder Bay, uh, that qualified them for the semifinals, and that win, uh, honestly, maybe I'd have to go run numbers and even check with Jerry on it, but that win may have been the difference in getting them uh, into the Meridian Canadian Open, the fifth Grand Slam of the season next month. That's how big that win was to to not just make the playoffs, but to make a semifinal as they ended up losing to uh, Rachel Holman, uh, by, I believe just by one there in those semis. Uh, there at the Tour Challenge in Thunder Bay, so that that to me was a was an awesome moment for Nina and company. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll give so, you a, I'll give you my third if you want me to go. Go next. for it. Yeah, you go next. I don't want to I don't want to feel like I'm stealing all your thunder. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm going to tell you that my number three, I would probably say, uh, was the Mr. T moment uh, in the locker room. Now, no, that was relating to the gold medal. Um, you know, having a pregame show. You could kind of lump that into it, the fact that we had a 30-minute pregame show for any curling event. I mean, that's still mind-blowing to think about. 
but arrange, being able to arrange that with Mr. T's folks and his son, uh, T Jr., uh, as he calls himself, uh, when he called, and I, I kid, I, there's no kidding, when he called me up after getting my email trying to arrange that for the guys, uh, you know, in Pyeongchang, when he said, uh, Mr. Price, this is T Jr., I kid you not, he calls himself T Jr., uh, Mr. T getting to, uh, to get involved and, and to do so so quickly uh, in any capacity I thought was really, really cool on his part. And I think also the visibility he helped give the game, um, you know, curling is, hashtag curling is cool fool, uh, supporting the guys and everything he did digitally. I, that did not hurt us in any way, shape, or form in terms of uh, growing the game. Uh, that was also a highlight for me that, that frankly trickled on for a few months afterwards. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the celebrity that Mr. T brings uh, and the attention that he can bring just with a tweet, you know, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. And uh, the ability that uh, you had to kind of bring him into the locker room uh, for that all important uh, time. I don't know. I don't know how you can measure that in terms of uh, importance uh, to the game, but it was a really great moment. Yeah, that, that, that was awesome. All right. Give me your uh, give me your number three, Joe. You know, I, I think my number three is sort of the uh, proliferation of curling coverage in the United States on TV and on the web. And okay. so I would say uh, my understanding is that Curling Night in America ratings were up about a third from the previous year. And I mean, that's that's pretty substantial because the ratings were pretty good to begin with. And so um, – yeah, I suspect that that will mean that we'll have even more uh, of this type of coverage. And maybe uh, things like uh, the World Cup will get on uh, TV uh, a little more often. I think that that was, might be a great after effect of that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great number three and kind of one of those, uh, you know, off ice, non-traditional, you know, moments. And so I, I'm, I'm 100 percent behind you on that. I'll go. I'll go first on number two, uh, and then I'll let you lead off with number one here in just a few minutes. But uh, my number two curling moment of the year was uh, in Las Vegas uh, back in uh, in April, uh, being out there with, with Richie and, and Team Persinger and Colin and and Tilker, and really, I don't want to say Miracle Part Two, but the way things were going uh, with them, uh, you know, backs against the wall, uh, not playing well. I believe what they lost, what, three, four in a row, and were basically sitting at, uh, I believe, three and six, and then went on to win the final three, including beating Switzerland, who it basically came down to whoever won that final round robin game between uh, Switzerland uh, and us. Uh, that we ended up winning, and to do that to qualify for the playoffs in, in kind of the roller coaster of a week it was for 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 Team Persinger out there at the World Championships in Las Vegas, you know to qualify after really just coming up so close in, in, in a few of those round robin games where it was like okay this is going to be a week to forget you know a lot of people were just well where is Schuster where is Schuster why aren't they playing. Uh, that moment out there when they qualified to see the, the the big group from the Iron Range that made the trip out there to support Richie and and, and Team Persinger out there was awesome. The, the the chants that were going on from a corner suite in the very far upper deck. Uh, Steve Berklid, who was uh, rinkside in his you know his weenie bikini, uh, chest painted every single draw. But watching the U.S. fans there, that was just plain out awesome. Uh, and, and also relating to that too, you know, they played Gushu and, and only lost by a rock and, you know, won in the, in, in the semi or in the quarterfinals, which could have gotten them on to the semis. Uh, they played Gushu till the final draw. I mean, literally to the final rock. 
Um, and also relating on that, you know, the people that watch, you know, the story of Greg Persinger out there, you know, Greg was, you know, they won nationals, Joe, right? You know, Greg, uh, Greg's throwing, you know, skip stones. He's, he's throwing last. Richie's calling the game at three. But Greg was so close and put so much pressure on him and, you know, just was coming up short on a couple draws, had some misses, and confidence was eroding, you know, really to the point where, you know, I kept wondering, would they make a change? Would they would they move and let Richie throw final stones? I, I don't know how realistic that may have been. But all of a sudden, when things changed and that those fortunes for Team Persinger out there in Las Vegas, uh, they obviously did change when they went on the run and qualified in the very last round-robin game. They needed some things to happen. It all went their way. The transformation of Greg really mid-event uh, to put all of that behind him and just play out of his mind the last three, four games, that was a personal highlight for me just to overcome what he did. Yeah, you know, and it sort of uh, overlaps with what my uh... – number two moment would be. And that was actually team Persinger uh, winning nationals. And, um, you know, it was an interesting sort of series of events that put their team together. And, and I really feel good for a guy like Rich Ruinen, who, um, kind of was, was, uh, sitting around as a, the fifth for team McCormick. And he, he gets the call to play, uh, with basically, uh, the former team Clark, um, gets his opportunity. He does. He, I think he kind of realizes there aren't that many more opportunities for him to kind of, you know, make his mark in the men's game, uh, before uh, senior starts rolling around. And, uh, you know, and Rich is sort of a catalyst, you know, he's the type of person that can make a team better than the sum of its parts. And so it was really nice to sort of see, uh, him and that team make their run at nationals and win it, uh, with a victory over uh, heater McCormick. Yep. Yep, no doubt. Uh, really good number two. All right, Joe, uh, you're the man of the hour, as you always are. Uh, you go first and lead lead off with uh, your top mo- curling moment of the year. Boy, you know, I, I, I would say that Team Sinclair winning the Players' Championship, um, you know, if we're, if we're discounting the Schuster gold, I mean, uh, for her to get that uh, win in a, a major Grand Slam at the end of the season um, sort of solidified her as a skip uh, to be reckoned with for now and into the future. And while uh, their team has had a few changes uh, since then, um, she's still, you know, in the top uh, 25-ish um, in the world rankings. And, you know, I consider them to be a contender uh, for Worlds this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know what, uh, there there would be some duplication, and that would be the same because I, I agree. I mean, Jamie winning the players in, in Toronto, the, the most prestigious of the slams to win that one being the first U.S. team to win a Grand Slam event uh, and Jamie to do that one at the players uh, the way that helped capped uh, you know the, the curling season you know we, you had some more stuff you know after that uh, but the way that they finished it off uh, they, they played so well at the Women's World Championship in North Bay um, you know, the winning USA Curling Nationals and, you know, coming off obviously the heels of the gold medal. But, you know, I don't want to say that no it, people thought what John did was a fluke. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, just really kind of put a stamp, put a punch, you know, into USA Curling season. Uh, and Jamie winning that players to me was just, uh, you know, the John gold medal is what everybody, the Schuster gold is. It, there's nobody that would not have that number one. Uh, there's probably nobody that would not have Jamie number one, although there'd probably be a little bit more debate on that one. But, you know, I am totally with you. I I, I think for sure that is definitely without a doubt uh, 
one that uh, that certainly has served notice and you know has has carried them points wise. Uh, you know, and in, in all due respect, uh, you know, through a lot of the Grand Slams we've had so far. So yeah, yeah. you know, it was a wake, it was really a wake up call to uh, Canada um, that. The U.S. is here and we're going to start we're going to start winning events. Uh, and, you know, it, it's carried over into this year with John winning the, uh, the, le- the second leg of the World Cup. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned it on a previous podcast, but, uh, you know, sitting by the boards uh, right in the players, um, you know, kind of box section just right by the ice at, in Thunder Bay uh, at the Tour Challenge back in November. You know, it's sitting right there and Brett Lang was playing on, on the sheet, uh, you know, former um, uh, former teammate uh, and played in the Olympics for, for Kevin Cooey uh, this past uh, past February, now playing for for John Epping, um, front end for him. You know, he comes by and he walks by, and you know Hamilton and several guys are sitting there. And he's like, you know, it used to be just one of you guys, one U.S. team that would come up here and we could beat you every time. Now we got like, you know, you know, we got two handfuls of U.S. teams here. We can't beat any of you. Uh, and that was after Schuster and them had beaten Epping uh, in the round robin play there at uh, the Tour Challenge. But that that part of what him saying that was we had seven teams there uh, on the in the both the tier one and tier two side of things. Uh, but it underscored that just the the increased presence that USA Curling is having, you know, north of the border. Yeah, I think it. The time uh, for change is now. I mean, we're definitely making that change at an international level, um, and we're we're teams are going to have to take notice of uh, all the teams that we're putting together in the U.S. All right, you and I have got a bet we got to make here, but uh, real absolutely, quick, you talk about igniting how Rich Ruinen can ignite a team. How about Rich Ruin in igniting Blake Griffin the other day? You know, I heard a little bit about this. Give me the details on this because I don't know that much about it. So Richie, through his company, uh, you know, his his law firm, uh, they do some advertising, I believe, on the Timberwolves pre, maybe also post-game show uh, there locally in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So he's got – to say he's got good seats is an understatement. He sits front row. Um, you know, I know they split up their tickets. So he goes to a series handful so of So he games. sits in that – Next to people like Spike Lee all the time. Yes, Richie is like a Spike Lee of the T-Wolves. So sitting front row, uh, he oftentimes, as you know, likes to talk and likes to uh, talk to opposing players. I've never heard him talk before. He did his research in advance about how Blake Griffin, now playing for the Detroit Pistons, is not a very good three-point shooter, a 33-career percentage three-point shooter. Well, he decides to uh, remind Blake Griffin of that during the game. Uh, Blake Griffin uh, starts chirping back to him, and Blake Griffin decides to go absolutely ape-you-know-what wild and pretty much single-handedly beats... (laughs) Beats the Timberwolves uh, in that game there at uh, the, what the Target Center uh, because he got ticked off and uh, Richie was the one that instigated. Now I will say this: let me be clear too. Uh, Richie was not the one that got kicked out. There was another fan that was sitting close to courtside that did get kicked out of the game for verbally taunting Blake Griffin, but uh, he was not. So wait, so wait. I want to make sure I got this straight. So Richie starts this. Yep. And then somehow weasels his way out of getting kicked out well he didn't say anything malicious i mean he was just reminding and so griffin was talking back to him griffin goes off for 34 points in the game of which detroit wins 129-123 but the t-wolves were winning uh when this whole thing started uh, in in i believe it was the third quarter uh but richie was not the one that got kicked out he did not cross that line in terms of uh 
you know, he wasn't inaccurate. He wasn't being malicious. Uh, He was just, you know, verbalizing and, you know, heckling a player. And, you know, it was the wrong one to heckle on that night because it backfired. But uh, nonetheless. Yeah, you know, as somebody somebody who sits in the front row of a major uh, sporting event uh, on a regular basis, it's not too hard to get in the ear of these players if you really want to. Yeah, you and you and uh, Rich are members of the front row club. Some of us don't have that kind of rarefied air to sit where you do at pro sporting events. But uh, that's your passion for the Buffalo Bills and the Timberwolves. All right, Joe, so uh, again, this is our last podcast uh, before Christmas, before New Year's. We'll be back on Friday, January the 4th, all right? Um, everybody can check us out, tsn.us online. Apple Podcast, uh, iTunes, uh, on your smartphone, just search the extra extra in. Uh, Google Stitcher or Google Play, excuse me, Stitcher. If you're an Android user, you can use those apps free, uh, and then you can search the extra extra in on both of those to get it delivered right to your smartphone. After every single podcast, the minute we throw one up, and that next one will be thrown up there uh, late that first week of January. But, Joe, I hope I'm not throwing up uh, in my drink when Penn State and Kentucky play because your alma mater, uh, Penn State and mine, the University of Kentucky, we're doing battle January 1st. I think there'll be some verbal taunting, maybe going back and forth, but Cats, Nittany Lions, Citrus Bowl, 1 o'clock, ABC, Orlando, Florida. Yeah, uh, the Nittany Lions, a six-and-a-half-point favorite, as I looked at it this morning. Um, Number 12 team in the country versus the number 14 team in the country. Uh, we got to put something on this, Price. What are we going to do? Well, it's got to be something, uh, probably something around USA Curling Nationals. So what do you have in mind? I mean, outside of being decked out in some kind of Penn State attire for the afternoon for a broadcast or – (laughs) <laughs> I, I will tell you right now, and this is not sandbagging. This is just the honest-to-God truth that I think Penn State does win the game. Now, I am going to take whatever bet you give me. I'm not going to shy away. I'm not going to poo-poo it. I'll do whatever you want. Uh, I will just say that I do think Penn State is the overall better team, and I do think Penn State will win the game. Now, the fact that we're getting six-and-a-half points is, is, is a good thing. So, I mean, does it have to be straight up, or do I, get, do I at least get the six-and-a-half? I think I'll give you the points just to make it interesting. All right, that makes Cause it fair. Because I, I think that's fair. Because I, th- I do think Penn State's a slightly better team. But, uh, you know, that could be biased. Um, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of, like, you know, making the other person wear a hat uh, for um, the, the entirety of nationals. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. So how about, uh, how about hat? How about hat, sweatshirt, slash pullover, something like that? Does that okay. work? Hat, hat slash pullover. Some something identifying strongly uh, the 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 loser wearing the uh, you know the the winning team's colors. So you know, I, I I'm I'm willing to wear a hat for an entire week. I'm not willing. To I didn't wear a say I didn't say entire week. I, entire I, didn't, week. I didn't say entire week. Okay. I just said for okay. for either a draw or a day. I think a draw All or right. a day is, is. I think that that's okay. fair. I think that's perfectly fair. You've heard it here. It is a bet. Okay. A draw uh, for one draw or a day, the loser has to wear either a Kentucky hat slash pullover. We'll we'll figure that out. Uh, Something to identify the loser uh, of the Citrus Bowl between Penn State and Kentucky on January 1st. Deal? We verbally Uh, shake on this. And do we verbally shake that as of now, as we make this bet, I get the six and a half? Yes, you get the six and a half, and we have made the bet. All right, if Kentucky loses by a touchdown, I'm going to be so ticked. I will be so, <laughs> so mad, and I can see it happening. But as long as Benny Snell does not get kicked out of the football game like he did in the Music City Bowl last year, our star running back, 
who, when a teammate was helping him up and, and the official was right there, and he, and he kind of like moved his teammate's hand away, like, no, I can get up. I'm, I'm all right. Uh, and the, he accidentally hit the referee's hand and didn't do it intentionally, and he got kicked out of the game for touching an official, for abusing an official. It's one of the most egregious calls. I mean, I'm talking one of the worst. And if you don't believe me, go YouTube, go to YouTube, search Kentucky Northwestern Benny Snell ejection. You will side with me on that one. It was I, I, the announcers were going out of their minds of how bad of a call that was. If he's ejected out of the game, which I don't think he will be, then UK has no chance, Joe. But that will do it. We all good here? Episode Sounds number good, 11, the extra, extra end. Uh, we have uh, gone on. I hope there's enough to chew on, gnaw on for everybody to hold you over until uh, January the 4th when we will be back. Uh, again, great interviews here uh, this week with the San Francisco Bay Area Curling Clubs, Peter Chorba, Sarah Walsh, uh, Mike Harris, Brad Gushu, uh, our top five curling moments. We did it all, Joe. So as we turn the page for 2019, I guess you know we got we got to thank all our listeners. We got to thank everybody who listens uh, each week, hopefully every week. Uh, but uh, in addition to thanking everybody, certainly you know Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, Happy Hanukkah, Happy uh, you know Happy Holidays to everybody, and certainly also Happy New Year. Uh, is we will be back after the first of the year. But uh, hope everybody has certainly a blessed and uh, you know a great holiday season with family and, and especially safe travels on the roads, highways, byways, wherever it is you may be spending the holidays uh, with your family and loved ones, Joe. Yeah, happy holidays, Price. Merry Christmas. And, uh, you know, we'll see in a couple weeks. We'll be uh, previewing nationals as it'll be right around the corner. It will be. It will just be around the corner. I think we'll have some challenge round uh, results to talk about uh, here pretty soon uh, after the first of the year. So that will do it. Uh, Once again, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to all our listeners out there. Thank you for making this podcast what it is, for taking the time to listen. If you like what we do, tell a friend. Let them know about the Extraction Podcast with the 12 Pins Sports Network. But for Joe Calabrese, the godfather himself, I'm Bryce Atkinson. We will see you in 2019. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the Extra Extra In Podcast with Bryce Atkinson and Joe Calabrese. Follow the 12th In Sports Network crew on Twitter and Facebook to stay up on our weekly contests, giveaways, guests, and for upcoming episodes of the Extra Extra In Podcast.